Baz Luhrmann's epic retelling of the life and times of Elvis Presley hits our cinemas next Thursday. We got a chance to check it out at a press preview, and we're here to tell you if it's any good. But before Bahir and I get into it, we're going to turn to Nick, who's our special guest today, because Nick is an Elvis super fan, and the hardest people to please are the super fans because nothing, nothing ever makes them happy. <laughs> so we want to know what you think, Nick. I mean, does this movie meet your expectations? Above and beyond. I think this entire Ooh. film is is practically a physical embodiment of the man himself. He was flashy, but he was fucking tortured at the same time. And I think this film beautifully represents that in a way that I have not seen before. Let's face it. There hasn't been a big screen Elvis biopic. The closest no. thing that they've gotten is the TV film with Jonathan Reese Myers, like, I think 2005, I want to say. Who was great. Yeah, but we've never gotten a full-blown, you know, let's go to the cinema and watch it in a hall sort of experience. And Jonathan Reese Myers was very, very good. But Bahir and I had this conversation off mic. We were talking about this for a while when we were watching the trailers. We were both going, hey... What's the need to get Austin Butler to sing? You've got Elvis, you just dub it because he's so iconic, right? Why waste your time doing all of this stuff? And then after watching the movie, I'm like, holy shit, Austin Butler yeah. is amazing. Yes. You know how there are some biopics where the person may not necessarily look like the individual they are portraying, but then about 20 minutes in, you kind of lose sight of the actor because they're doing such a good job. Yeah. I didn't have to wait that long in this movie. It was almost immediate. Like in the opening scenes, there's a moment where Elvis collapses and they're overlapping it. You know, in typical Baz Luhrmann montage collage style, you're seeing all of these things play out. And I was in because Austin Butler just looked and sounded like him. I lost track of what the real Elvis sounded like. He was spot on. Yeah, like, I gotta give I gotta give props to the man. The, that that boy deserves all the fucking awards. Like whatever awards are coming, SAG, fucking BAFTAs, Oscars, <laughs> fucking if there's a Grammy as well, fucking give it to him as well. Give it to him. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, there are moments that you like. Bass has already said that in his younger days he was going to get Austin Butler to sing Elvis, and then in his older days they were going to use Elvis's voice. But it came to a point that you're in the film going, okay, hold up. Is this Austin or is this Elvis? Like, you can't differentiate. And for me, even before the film came out, they released uh, Trouble uh, before the film came out on Spotify. Yes. And I heard that and went, no, there's no way this is not Elvis. Like, it sounds too good to be true. And that's credit to the man himself. Even before they got into the vocal workshop of it, Baz released that whole pre-production video, the, the test of him singing That's Alright. And already from there, I'm like, I'm in. I mean, this boy is Elvis. The king lives, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, I, those are big words, but it's... Those are big words. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. it's true. Yeah. For an Elvis fan, this is, this is everything. This is everything to us. And it's done in such a tasteful fashion as well. And it really showcased... Like with Jonathan Rhys Myers, there was that sense of how tortured and used Elvis was. But there's just something about the way that Baz and, and Austin did it that that third act in the film, I mean, if you know Elvis' story, you know what's coming. But in that third act, it broke my heart because I know exactly what's happening. Spoilers, he dies at the end. What? Yeah, guys. Surprise! 
but thankfully we didn't get to see the scene where he was on the toilet so it's fine you can leave <laughs> that shit out right it's unnecessary i was also appreciative that they didn't overdo the final periods of his life you know when he gets really bloated when he becomes a real shut yeah. in i've seen versions of the story where they really milk those parts for drama and i feel like it wasn't necessary yeah, it's the real life story of what happens to this, at that point, once great man. But at the same time, you don't have to revel in the fall of the king. I didn't need to see it. Yeah. Like, to be honest with you, that was one thing near the end that I I was kind of nitpicking. I'm like, he was a bit heavier at this point. Austin's not big enough. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm okay with that. After a while, I was like, you know, fuck it. Like, yeah. he doesn't need to be fat. <laughs> I wish there was some, a bit more accuracy in that sense, right? I've got air quotes with regards to historical accuracy. But at the same time, I've seen other films sort of revel in the fall. And I don't want to see that. I don't want to see the tortured king be a shut-in with his gun. I was a little annoyed they didn't do the whole... CIA Nixon Elvis, which would have been a little fun, I think. Despite being a biopic, it's not really a cradle-to-grave biopic in that sense. It's not, it's, yeah. It's very focused, and it kind of tells the story of Elvis Presley, and in particular, his relationship with Colonel Tom Parker, right? This guy who kind of was both good and bad for him. Good in the sense that he kind of discovered him and took him to great heights. Bad because he conned the shit out of him. Yeah. And abused him and used him for his own gains. I mean, the best description I have for Colonel Tom Parker is that he's a puppet yeah. master. And Colonel Tom Parker wasn't a colonel. His name wasn't Tom Parker. He was a Dutch guy on the run, ended up in the United States. No one knows anything really about his past. He ended up being a carny. He was very, very intelligent and he had an ability to kind of sell things. He was a great marketer. Uma, you sent out an article yesterday about how he purposely put on 300 pounds so that he would be deemed unfit for the military during the draft of World War II. And I was like, oh, that's just, that kind of, it's, it's, for me, it shows the, the weirdness of his mental machinations. There's a moment in the film that's absolutely true where the, I think it's the FBI that kind of describes him as having psychopathic tendencies. And in that sense, I think the movie does tap into a lot of real history. And from everything I've read and I know, there seems to be less creative license taken in this film. And I say that in contrast mm. to something like Bohemian Rhapsody, which being produced or co-produced by Queen themselves meant that you didn't get to see the real Freddie Mercury. Like Rami Malek's performance was fantastic, mm. but it was a sanitized version yes. of who he was. Yeah. And I think the great thing about Elvis is it isn't a sanitized version. It shows him warts and all. And I think it doesn't run away from who he was as well. And I think that's quite interesting. And also, like, what I also appreciate is that we've never really gotten a story about Tom Parker as well. Like, that side of, of things. And this film, I don't know whether it's, it's Bez or whether it's Tom, but you can neither hate nor love this man because you cannot deny that he brought Elvis to heights that I don't think Elvis would have ever gotten without him. He did, but Nick, I have no problem hating that man. 
Like, he was mean as Same. shit. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but, like, especially with John... You see, I, it's undoubtedly I'm going to compare it to the Jonathan Reese myers biopic because that's the only other one we've gotten. I'm going to... I'm not even going to talk about the Kurt Russell one because, uh, yeah, that's... Um, but, yeah, Tom Parker in that film, they didn't really accentuate how badly he fucked Elvis up. This, however... You clearly see it clear as day, which I appreciate because I feel like outside of diehard Elvis fans, I don't think a lot of people know the bad influence that fucking Tom Parker had and the hold that he had on Elvis. Yeah, they don't. I I really appreciate that this Elvis was the greatest sideshow for him. It was the greatest Mm. freak show that he could find. And he exploited that to no end for his own gain at, at the end of it. And, you know, after watching the trailer, I was a little concerned about Tom Hanks because he looks like he's really hamming it up. But in the film, it kind of works. I think out of context, some of the scenes we see in the trailer look a little cheesy. But then within the context of like, you know, when he's talking to Elvis at the end or in the third act and that scene is in the trailer when he goes, you and me were the same. You know, it sounds a little off in the trailer, but actually in the context of the film, it really works. Like the tone he's taking in contrast to what Elvis is going through at that moment, was heartbreaking. Also, I don't know if it was just me, but I feel like the trailers didn't do the film justice. The first time I watched the trailers, I actually was a bit worried about Austin because me and and Kai, both of us were like, this boy is a little bit too pretty to be Elvis. Mm. That was my concern. And then the second I saw the film, and like you said, Umar, that first five minutes of him collapsing on the floor, I'm like, fuck it. This boy's Elvis. I don't know what anyone else says this boy's Elvis. But the trailers didn't convince me. The first trailer had my hair standing on end. Like, just when you see him on stage, and it's just the way Baz Luhrmann cuts his trailers and the music he uses. It was phenomenal, right? When you see him move for the first time. And all of that kind of plays off really, really well in the film. I have to say, the visual aesthetic of this film is very Baz Luhrmann. So you either Mm. love it or you hate it. Like, yes. It's what he's done in Moulin Rouge. It's what he's done in Gatsby. He loves these fades. He loves these montages. He can't help himself. Every scene is just full of stuff. Yeah. Having said that, though, (laughs) I feel like this is the least fantastical film that he's done. Like, you look at all the fucking fantasy that he did with Moulin Rouge. And then, of course, Gatsby. It's so fucking fantastical. But this somehow is fantastical, but at the same time, very grounded and rooted in Elvis's reality, which I appreciate. I, I agree with you, but I think my issue, and I said it to you guys after the screening, was that for me, it felt too Baz Luhrmann. I think, I feel like with Elvis's fantastical journey, with the time that it was happening, I don't think I needed Baz Luhrmann's fingerprints all over it. I think it feels a little too Baz Luhrmann. And I just wish he would tone that down a little bit. I think there's one too many montages, not montages, but when the film starts, there's a whole bit with split screens. And I was just like, calm the fuck down, Baz. (laughs) See, for me, I love that when it's a Baz Luhrmann movie, because I go into the film expecting that. And I kind of like that about what he does. And... I fell in love with it in Moulin Rouge. And for me, when you're watching a Baz Luhrmann movie, it's always this hyper-reality. It's this heightened sense of reality. And so 
it's over the top. It feels very much like a Bollywood flick as opposed to a Hollywood flick. Mm, and I think yeah. I like mm. it when it's a Bears movie. Which you know, which brings me to the kind of song choices as well, because I think walking into this, and it's the same with any musical biopic, right? Whether it was Rocket Man or Bohemian Rhapsody, I'm always curious as to how they're going to use the music, and yeah, I have to say it's really well done. Like yeah. some of it's obvious, and then I'm like, actually, you know what? The role of this isn't to be surprising. Yeah, when Colonel Tom Parker is making a deal for the future of Elvis, and he's singing. I'm caught in a trap. I'm like, yes, it works. It's obvious. It's on the yeah. nose. But you know what? The way that scene was edited together, it's just beautiful. It gets you in the feels right away. Yes. Even the the moment when he was singing Trouble on stage, and it's like, oh, like it works so well. And to be honest, when the soundtrack listing came out, I got a bit worried because I was like, oh no, are they just going to get a whole bunch of artists to sing Elvis songs? And he's just going to put it in and like, what, is is Colonel Tom Parker going to sing Backstreet Boys at one point? <laughs> but none of that, thank goodness. I didn't notice that song. Yeah, I know, right? I it was in the credits saying everybody Backstreet's back. And I'm it was like, in the credits. Where like, was it? Where was that? <laughs> same, same, yeah. I didn't notice now it we'll at all. watch it back and be like, at what point did they play it? <laughs> but, that's, but that's the thing. Like, like, even with my, I wouldn't say apprehension, but even with the fact that I felt it was too Baz Luhrmann. This is definitely a movie I'm watching again. Oh, fuck yes. And definitely watching it on the big screen. And and to sort of go back to what you were, you both were saying earlier about all the other iterations of, of Elvis on screen, I appreciate those. I like the more grounded version of a biopic. Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles thing. I like right. these, the, 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 more realistic versions, but then I also really enjoyed the fact that this was colorful and bright and strong and powerful and over the top. This is, I think, this is one of the rare points where I will highly disagree with you, Marcus. Because uh, mm. I'm like, nah, Baz did it justice because, like I said, Elvis was, in, especially in his later years with the jumpsuits and everything, he was a very colorful character. So to bring that Las Vegas show style to the screen the way Baz has done, I think in o uh, only a person like Baz could do something like this. And it works so fucking well for the man himself. I think you need that kind of flamboyance on screen as opposed to just seeing the flamboyance in the character. I think it should be mm, yes. reflected in the filmmaking as well, which is something that Baz is probably best known for. It really feels more Bollywood than Hollywood. And I'm here for it. I'm here for that. If you wanted a more serious toned film, again, there's a Jonathan Reese Myers film, which yeah. mm. really got to the nitty gritty and the real details of it because they had time. It was a fucking, what, three, three and a half hour because it was a two-parter. So they had real time to get into the details. Whereas this, let's get to the main bullet points, the main focus. Let's have a fun time doing it. But also, let's break your heart in a million pieces like we've never done before. <laughs> I think Baz Luhrmann does a good job in addressing the roots of Elvis's music. And I think he does so in a way that feels real and authentic. Like, he doesn't run away from the fact that Elvis's music was black music at the time. He yes. does it. Yeah. He doesn't run away from who Elvis's influences were. Yes. And also the reality of, hey, this is a white guy appealing to a mass white audience, which is why he was so successful. Yeah. But I think there's one core thing in this film that I haven't read before, which is this idea that Elvis was huge. He was the most popular man in music, best-selling solo artist of all time. 
And yet there is this notion that if Colonel Tom Parker had allowed him to travel, Elvis could have been even bigger. Like, he would Mm. have been even bigger if people had seen him in the flesh. Like, if people in Japan and Europe and Asia had seen him in person, it would transcend what they saw on the screen and he would be even bigger still. I agree with that. Only because now it's fairly easy to get content from around the world, but I remember stories of my parents, especially my dad, talking about how he would only get certain records because his brother was studying in the UK and brought those back for him, right? It doesn't travel as well. And I think if Elvis is this big based on the films and based on the fact that he only performed in the US, can you imagine if he went to Germany or the UK? I, You know... He could be bigger than the Beatles. (laughs) Fucking Aloha from Hawaii. I'm glad they pointed that out because Aloha from Hawaii at that point... Sorry, can I just quickly jump in? I wish they had done that. Can I just say, I wish they had done that. You wanted to see Aloha from Hawaii? I wanted to see it. I've seen it. I've I've seen Aloha from Hawaii. I just wish they had addressed it as opposed to just title cards. That's true. Because I mean, Aloha from Hawaii was iconic all over the world. Because one, I think it was the first time that any sort of live televised concert happened at all and it spread all over the world at that point it was a huge fucking deal aloha from hawaii yet again which goes to the genius of tom parker right he was an evil genius that is what but he was, only, he was yeah. fucking but only because he couldn't leave the country <laughs> <laughs> hey let's, man let's be honest it's only it wasn't like elvis was afraid to fly yeah but then restrictions like that breed ingenuity i mean that's yeah. what you get one thing I do got to mention, though, is that the 68 comeback special, those moments, like the 68 comeback special is a special that means a lot to me. I've watched that a thousand and one times. And so seeing that on screen like this, how the fuck did they get it so perfect? They built, they recreated the whole set. Right? It, the set, they recreated perfect. everything. It was so yeah. good. It was spot on. Yeah, it was amazing. Like, for an Elvis fan, like I was looking at the minor details, the thing like the 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 wiggle of the finger and all that, these little iconic moments, the hound dog moment. I'm like, how the fuck did you get this down to a T? I'll be honest, during that point, I was thinking to myself, I have to go find it because this is just me being a bitch, right? I was just like, ooh, I wonder if they got the the ladies in the crowd to wear the same clothes. <laughs> Only because everything else was perfect. You know what I mean? I was being I was being I'll be honest, I'm just being a bitch. But like, I was thinking to myself, because to me, it's that kind of thing that would just take it to 15. Even some of the camera angles were beautiful. And I was like, oh, all that's pitch perfect. But I wonder if they've got the costume right. I'm sure Bears has got it right. I'm sure. Yeah, and that's what, what you know. like, I, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty sure if they made the effort, because again, you're recreating images that's on tape right you there's there are reference photos there so if you're gonna do it do it right and i wonder if they did i'm just really curious and i think especially for this i don't think there's been a film that i've watched in a long time i'm trying to recall i think the last film that i i lost an actor in the role like this would have been ray like even for bohemian rhapsody i'm like now this is still i still see remnants of remy malik i see remy malik putting on the false teeth and acting like Freddie Mercury. Yes. Yes. For but sure. But in Ray, yeah. Ray, that was fucking Ray Charles on screen, not Jamie Foxx. And like this, that's fucking Elvis on screen. I don't care what anyone says, that's Elvis. I think Ray, I think Joaquin Phoenix and Johnny Cash and Walk the Line. Oh shit, yes. Yeah. Where actors kind of disappear into roles, I think 
Austin Butler has done a very good job. I think it helps that we haven't seen Austin Butler in a lot of things. And yes. I think yeah. the freshness of who he is really helps. I think the problem will be now the next Austin Butler movie, you're going to see Elvis. <laughs> I don't know. I think uh, the yeah. next Austin Butler movie will most likely be due in part two. If he hasn't done anything in between. What I'm also worried about is that voice has now stuck with him. Are we going to see Elvis in the desert? <laughs> Which, you know what? That would be great. I, could, I think board. that could work on Dune. Yeah, yeah I would like to see guitar. that. That would I'm be funny. Yeah, that yeah, would yeah, be funny. Yeah. Just have fucking Elvis walking in the sand dunes. We go sand walk. I did not... I'm game. I did not recognize Richard Roxburgh. But then again... Richard Roxburgh is 60 now. <laughs> and I still remember him as the blonde hottie from Mission Impossible, right? Or in Moulin Rouge. That's another thing that i got to bring out. That relationship with his mother, I'm so glad they brought... Like, Because he was always very close to his mother. His mother yes. was literally his favorite girl. So seeing yeah. that relationship on screen when the funeral happened, Baz did a fantastic job. And the fact that the mother fucking looked like his mother as well. I mean, That how was the creepy. How the hell did you find these people? This is a carbon copy of his mother, down to like her voice, the mannerisms, her look. It's, it was incredible. It's been a long time since his last movie. There was Great Gatsby in Australia. I did not like Gatsby. I think Australia gets a bad rap. I think it's actually a very beautiful movie. I think it got kind of lost in the whole retelling of history and myth there were a lot of criticisms from historians about it but at the same time i think when you watch the movie again he's recutting it by the way he's releasing it as a oh. hulu and disney plus series like a six-part hulu and disney oh, plus wow. series that's supposed to oh. come out later this year and oh. there was a lot okay. of behind the scenes problems in that he kept begging fox to delay the release and they refused to delay the release Right, And I remember in interviews him saying once every week I would beg them to delay the release because this movie is not ready. And they refused. And, and you know, that ended up causing his break with Fox because he had great success with Moulin Rouge and Romeo and Juliet with Fox. And now Warner Brothers has taken over Elvis. But if you re-watch Australia, it's one of those sweeping Gone with the Wind style epics and it's really beautiful to look at and it is mm. meant to be a fantasy and a fever dream and not a historical representation of truth. Right. Because that's what Baz Luhrmann does. And yeah, I think Australia gets a bad rap. But also, Australia actually made a lot of bank in the box office. It was made for $100 million. Mm. It made like 211 or $215 million. Oh shit. I thought it was a box office bomb. <laughs> right? So there is this weird thing that people think, oh, Australia was a failure, but actually it wasn't. Honestly, for a movie like that to make 200 million, it's a long fucking movie and it's a drama, it's a sweeping epic historical drama to make 200 million is pretty impressive. About Australia. Yeah. About yeah. Australia. <laughs> and so yeah, we're going to get a six part, I think that's going to be Baz Luhrmann's next thing. So we're going to get a six part version on Hulu and Disney Plus. The dates haven't been announced, but he's spoken about them in interviews. So I'm looking forward to that as well because I just want to see... It's one of these Snyder Cut things, right? Where the director just goes, okay, listen, I have control over my film. I have all this extra footage. I've got... You know, the movie was maybe three hours and I think he's got about three hours of extra stuff. And let's see how... I'm curious to see how the story actually unfolds in that situation. So it'd be pretty yeah. cool. I, yeah. I mentioned that because... I think that's how Baz Luhrmann kind of works. And I'm curious as to what was left out of this movie because the movie we get is very tight. I think 
it's really focused. It's as much Tom Parker's story as it is Elvis' story, and yeah. the way that's weaved together and the way the mystery unfurls. Like if you don't know anything about Tom Parker, when the revelations come, you'll be like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting. And I thought he did well to do that. Like he really did cut out all of the like. There's so many cool stories in Elvis's life. Like you could have spent, you could have made a whole movie about his time in Hollywood alone. And I thought it's very cleverly shorthanded. Like even his、mm. rise to fame, it happened so quickly in the film because you're just like, you know what? Doesn't matter. We know he's famous. We know he's Elvis. Let's just get a move on. Yes. Yeah. Like actually, that's one thing I want to mention as well. Like the pacing of this film. Was was incredible. Like it moved quickly, but not you didn't feel it was rushed. Like you still felt like they touched the key points of Elvis's life, and at the same time kept the flow going really well. I disagree. I think it moved too quick for me. Oh, I agree. I didn't need to see him make all his films, but it it really felt like in the blink of an eye, suddenly he's on his downturn and talking about the Vegas stuff. I would have loved to have spent a little more time in the middle where. Where we're celebrating Elvis's success and not just yep we're talking about Vegas because he's no longer popular because two clips of the Beatles arriving in the U.S. doesn't do it for me. Actually, that's a good point. You know, Bahe, the whole movie, and I just realized this, it actually focuses on his saddest moments. The successes are told through montages, but the drama and the tension and the conflict happens when he's kind of down and out. For a lot of people, you don't need to spend the time. Bigging up Elvis, he's the fucking king, right? Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, in 2022, when Elvis's music, when Elvis's story is not the most front of mind, I mean, the most recent thing I can think of was the HBO docu series called Searches. Oh yeah.、Uh, even that was 2017, 2016, I think, or something. So it's been a while, and I I kind of wish we were able to celebrate Elvis a little more. Even、okay. if it's just one big performance, because suddenly we're at the comeback special, and I was just like, "Wait, we're here already in the story," and that that bugged me a little bit. For me, at least, I was okay with it because, yeah, again, I know these successes, I know these stories, I've seen, I've seen it a million and one times. Even again with the Jonathan Rhys Meyers film, we saw it. So to see the more. Like I said, tortured and lonely soul that Elvis was, I appreciate it because not a lot of people know that about the king. Like a lot of people thought, oh, you know, he was a successful man and then he killed himself because he loved peanut butter and banana sandwiches. And I'm like, that's not and drugs,、case. man, and drugs. He loved drugs and drugs. And look, and no, and I think even then, even the thing about the drugs, he didn't love drugs. He、no. had a very, he had a huge aversion towards. Alcohol towards towards、uh, cigarettes, towards doing drugs and cigarettes. In his mind, he was taking medication. He wasn't doing drugs, right? And I think the role Doctor Nick plays in the fall of Elvis, I thought, was a little underplayed as well. I just wish that there were these little bits of him that I wanted to see more of. I'm taking into account the fact that this could be. The thing that introduces a new audience to the majesty that is Elvis. In that sense, I think this movie does a pretty good job with regards to the talent of the man. Like, I think in recent years, with the conversations around, and I think some of them have been very unfair. The conversations around cultural appropriation and Elvis using black music, etc. I think they have been unfair because I think they also undermine the actual talent of the man. But the talent is beyond just the way he sings. 
And I think yes. that's something that we should pay attention to because yes, somebody may have sang Hound Dog first, but it's not really packageable, is it? And I think to become a pop star, to become the king of rock and roll, you have to be the complete package. And Elvis could sing. He was smart. He had a mind of his own. He could dance. He could do all those moves. He had something. And there was a magic that is addressed in this movie. And no one can explain it. And I think it's real. I think you can study it your whole life. You can't explain why his gyrations sent people nuts. And Nick, I need you to back me up on this. But mm. the term appropriation is one thing, but you have to take into context the place, right? This was 1950s US. Correct. Segregation was yeah. still very big. But at the same time, Elvis never denied the fact that he was singing no. somebody else's songs. He never denied exactly. the fact that he was a big supporter of black music. Yes. And also everyone did it. No one sang their own song. Someone would write a song and they would give it to 10 different artists to sing, right? Which again, I appreciate Baz Luhrmann for touching on because everyone has the sense, especially nowadays, that, oh, Elvis robbed black people yeah. of that. And here's the thing, you got to look at the time and the place. Black music at the time was never going to be at the forefront. You're not going to hear that on mainstream radio or records are not going to get cut or whatnot. Elvis brought their music to a new audience and I think paved the way eventually yeah. for rhythm and blues and, and rock and roll like this to be more at the forefront. And the thing is, you forget that Elvis grew up in a black neighborhood. It's not like he was some white boy from a rich neighborhood and went, oh, I want to use these black kids' music. This is what he knew. This is what he loved. And I also think the black-white binary is, is problematic when you're talking outside of an American context. But then again, Americans only make arguments because they think the whole world is America. You need to consider yeah. as well Elvis's impact on the rest of the world. People who couldn't give a shit whether he was white or not. Yeah. People yeah. who may have never seen what he looked like or seen how he moved because even here in Malaysia, not everyone had televisions back in the yeah. 60s and the 70s. And yet his music still appealed. There was still something about it, right? And so there is a global context to Elvis that isn't often addressed. Yeah. And also here's the thing, like, you talk about, oh, Elvis stole black music. I'm sorry, but have you seen the amount of black artists this day and age who cite Elvis as an inspiration to them? It's come full circle, right? It's, it's, it's like Lucas... Stealing from Japanese and Italian spaghetti westerns and then having Japanese creators today, you saying that Star Wars is a point of inspiration yeah. for them, yeah. right? Yeah. Meanwhile, Lucas was cribbing off Kurosawa and everything just comes. That's why I feel the appropriation argument is very insular. I, it doesn't actually take into account the way creativity works. But for me, there is one aspect of the appropriation conversation that is always ignored, which I find very insulting. The listener's point of view. I've heard the original version of Hound Dog. I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, th there's nothing wrong. With it's, it's, it's the original rhythm and blues, Delta blues versions of these songs are fine. They're just not for me. I prefer the Elvis versions of the song. You know, just like I don't like Dolly Parton's version of I Will Always Love You. Yeah. I will always love you. I prefer the... I, to this day, I will say I prefer the Whitney Houston version. And I think it's just my version... Well, my ear responds to it differently. It's that, but it's also a sense of elitism that comes with fandom, I think, in the sense that yeah. people have this notion, well, the original's always better. Well, not necessarily. I mean, I like Leonard Cohen, but maybe his version of Hallelujah 
is not the best. He was yeah. a genius yeah. for penning those words, but Buckley made it sing. Adding on to what Bahir said, again, it's it's the listener's own perspective. Like for us right now, we say this, but you know, there could be other people out there who also be like, oh yeah, the original Hound Dog was better. And sure, so which I'm absolutely. like, you know, that's, that's your opinion. It's, it's totally fine. But I think that's what we're trying to say, right? This idea that there's a false dichotomy in the in the sense that, oh, the OG will always be better. I think Abre Los Ojos is a good movie, but Vanilla Sky by Cameron Crowe is, yeah. I think it's elevated because he obviously right. had more money and he had Tom Cruise. And there's nothing wrong. And There's, there's nothing, nothing wrong. wrong with it. I think interpretations yeah. sometimes yeah. work better for some people. Go for it. Random note, coming back to Dr. Nick, was I the only one when Dr. Nick's name got mentioned just chuckled a little bit in the corner? Do y'all get that reference? No. No. Do you watch The Simpsons? Oh my god, oh. Dr. Nick. Hello, everyone. Hello. <laughs> is, it, is it based on the same guy? No, I mean, like, I, I no, 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 no. It's not. It's not. It's just, just, I just think it's a random name. It's just unfortunate that they had to call him Dr. Nick. And I'm like, I forgot. <laughs> I was just expecting to go to Elvis going, Hello, hi, everybody. I'm like, No. <laughs> it's stupid. Oh. But I'm like, Shit. Nick. Was Dr. Nick the real name? <laughs> His name was George Constantine Nicopolis. But he was Why did I think he was Greek? Why did I immediately go must be Greek? <laughs> yeah, he was Greek. Dr. Nick was an American <laughs> physician of Greek descent. Oh. Yeah. Damn you, Dr. Nick. God damn it. Damn you. No, I don't blame Dr. Nick. I blame Tom Parker because, oh, I'm sorry, but those words when Tom Parker said the lines of, yeah. I don't care what you do, but that man goes on stage. I knew I was going to bawl my eyes out in this film because, yep. yeah, Elvis, he worked Elvis to the bone. You look at those Las Vegas years and you look at that deterioration, it's it's heartbreaking. That's why, for, that's why I want to give this warning again to any diehard Elvis fans, bring tissues because that third act is going to kill you. <laughs> but also, I think this movie is good because even if you're not a diehard Elvis fan... All of those moments are heartbreaking. I think it's performed so well that even yeah. if you don't know the story, even if you're not emotionally invested in the character, you become emotionally invested in the film. And so that's some great writing there because the narrative arc pays off. By the time you get to that point, you are just like, oh my God, <laughs> and you're crying. And the thing is like, we talked about Bohemian Rhapsody and how they sort of took liberty with the story. And you know, there was a lot of factual inconsistencies. But with this, I'm sure people are going to be like, oh, did this really happen? To which I'm going to answer them going, yeah. The shit did happen. A lot of and it did, more. yeah. And, and more. more. Like, some yeah. people look at his gyrations and go, was that really such a big deal? To which I'm like, back then, in the 50s, that was fucking controversial. He did almost go to jail for that. All that shit was real. And I mean, the other thing to take into account is that he was doing this just before, well, not just before, but before the Beatles showed up. So if yes. you thought the reactions of the women screaming at a Beatles concert was one thing. Now, minus 10 years and do it in the South. You go spend a night in jail for that shit. And American conservatives had a problem with the Beatles as well. The poor artist, I can't remember what his name was. The one that uh, fucking Tom Parker was mentioned before Elvis. What was his name? Hank Snow. Hank Snow, yes. I'll be honest, I like me some Hank Snow. I I like me some Hank Snow. But I'm like, could they could they make him less sad in this film, please? I just love how his son turns on him at the end and his son is full on Elvis. It's fun. He's like, I want to be you. 
Oh my god. Oh shit, speaking of Sun Records, like um people out there who don't know about Sun Records, there's a there's a series that actually came out. It was a bit of hit and miss, but actually I feel like I enjoyed that show. Yeah, it was a bit of hit and miss, but I enjoyed it too, Sun Records. I wish it went for more, but that explained a lot of Sun Records because I also realized like Oh, we didn't get much of the Sun Records years with Elvis in this film. To but again, to which I'm like, you know what? We don't really necessarily need it. If I want, here's the thing. Ah, oh, this is a perfect analogy. If I wanted to, there is actually a lot of different Elvis projects which touched on different moments of Elvis' life. Elvis and Nixon, Sun Records. And I think if you are making a biopic, these are the difficult decisions you have to make. If you want to tell a story within two hours and twenty minutes. And it's about a person whose life was as complex as Elvis's. I mean, he did not live a boring life. And there are so many stories. And if you want to do that, I think you've got to make some very hard decisions. And I applaud Baz Luhrmann for making those choices because God knows we've seen movies and we've seen biopics where, I mean, we see it almost every week on Netflix where no decisions are made. Like where no one wants to cut their darlings and they want to tell every single aspect of every story. Can I just say, I have an idea, guys. I have an idea. You know, you know the Ryan Murphy American horror story, American crime story yes. series? Yeah, the yes. anthologies, yeah. yeah. They should do a biopic version. Do two seasons of Elvis, eight episodes each or something. Then do a Frank Sinatra one. Then do a Rat Pack one. I, yeah. I got it, guys. I got See, it. See, like, how would you even begin to tell a Frank Sinatra story? There's the singing. There's the mob stuff. There's the Vegas years. The Rat Pack years. It's crazy. Actually, bring out a good point. Like, we're talking about Beatles as well. Like, how the fuck are you going to tell the Beatles story in one film? There's no fucking way. There's the definitive... Beatles biography I think there's volume one that's out and literally volume <laughs> one is like a thousand pages if not more <laughs> and it's the first three years <laughs> and the author is working on volume two and yeah. I think it's the same there's a there's a biography series about LBJ and I think it's up to volume four now maybe God. And, but that's the thing these titans if you will of our planet of our world there are many facets to their lives and yeah yeah you can't tell the beatles story in one 100 page book you need to you can tell maybe one night in their lives yeah which is why they're doing the brian epstein story to be like hey here's here's a kind of L of a beatles biopic but we're focusing on epstein because and i think not, that would be interesting yeah, I would love to see that because have you read, I don't know if either of you, have you read the graphic novel, The Fifth Beetle? I love it. Yeah, yes. which is what this is going to be based on. So like, if they follow that styling as well of how they did it, I think that'll be perfect. That Brian Epstein Beetle story is, is a great way of telling a big story, right? You don't tell Brian Epstein's beginning to end career story you don't tell the Beatles beginning to end career story you tell the story when they were intersecting with each other the Colonel Tom Parker entryway into Elvis is an interesting way to get into it I thought that was genius if I'm honest with you like to to take that perspective and to tell the story from Tom Parker's perspective as compared to going the standard route of like here's Elvis's life told through Elvis's eyes or through his wife's eyes or through his daughter's eyes and they're going to be different stories right yeah so let's do it with Tom Parker because that's a perspective we rarely get to see because he's always been classified as the motherfucker who killed Elvis 
And I think this movie makes it still very clear that Tom Parker is the villain here. You are following the villain. Finally, we get to see Tom Hanks. We got to see Tom Hanks play a villain. We get to see Tom Hanks play a villain. Yeah. And he does it really well. I think Tom Hanks seemed to relish the opportunity to play a bad guy, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's about damn time. In a minute. Yeah, I knew you were going to do it. I knew I was just <laughs> waiting for it. But okay, I'm, I'm sure we're going to wrap it up eventually. But like one thing I do got to say is that this movie moves... It's there's not a dull moment at all. There wasn't no, a there moment isn't. that I felt like, oh, Move like it along. there wasn't there wasn't a moment to relax, but in a good way. Yeah, I didn't feel exhausted. Yeah, I didn't feel tired at the same time. Yeah, but that's also due to Baz Luhrmann's frenetic pacing, right? He loves this sort of storytelling. I mean, with Mulan Rouge, I remember the first time I watched Mulan Rouge in the cinema, I was blown away because I'd never seen a movie with that kind of frenetic pacing. And yes. I was like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> and, uh, and Baz Luhrmann doesn't break. Like, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't pause and yet he allows the emotional moments to breathe as well. Yes. So there are these moments with Elvis and B.B. King sitting on a fire escape and having a conversation and it's focused in on that conversation. There is a moment between Elvis and Priscilla Presley on the stairs as their marriage is falling apart and he allows those moments to breathe but then mm. all of the other stuff is all show and glam and glitz. Yes. And, yeah, it's really good. It's it's I I thought it was just very well balanced and I didn't feel the two hours and 20 minutes. Speaking of which, sorry, I just remembered. Like, I'm sure there are going to be some people out there that are going to complain, oh, the Elvis and Priscilla story wasn't enough. To which I'm probably going to argue, like, we didn't... I appreciate that we didn't get a full-blown, let's focus on their entire relationship because we don't need to have that. This movie is the love story between Elvis and Colonel Tom Parker. That's what it yes. is. Yes. Yes. It's that... It's, it's caught in a trap. It's that love story, right? Uh, I love it. I, I love this film. I would recommend this film to any person that's not an Elvis fan. And to those people that are massive Elvis fans like myself, I think this is a movie that we're going to be really fucking proud of. Agreed. Watch Elvis. It opens in cinemas next Thursday. If you make your way over to our Instagram page, GogglerMY, we have a contest going on at the moment and you can win yourself some tickets to watch a preview screening of Elvis. So that's quite exciting as well. Uh, Nick, thank you so much, as always, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. You can find Nick on at Nick Dorian and at Geeks in Malaysia. And you know how to get in touch with us. All of our social media feeds are GogglerMY. You can also WhatsApp us on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. And you can send us an email on podcast at goggler.my. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Goggler Podcast.